0: Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial
1: independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, Enlightened Investors. I'm so delighted to be back with you again today, and we're going to take a look at how we can unpack some of the frequently asked questions about multifamily with one of our expert investors. As a co-founder of REAP Equity, Jacob Garza focuses on developing and overseeing the company's growth strategy while taking a hands-on approach to managing the firm's capital expenditures and projects. His goal is to execute the value-add business plans to ensure the investments generate attractive, risk-adjusted returns for REAPs investors. Jacob directly oversees asset management as well as fosters and maintains relationships with key industry leaders. So Jacob, take us into the show and share an experience that helped you to be who you are today.
0: Well, that's a very good question, Alan. Let me first start off by saying thank you for having me on. This is my second time, and we were able to take our last podcast, and it provided uh, a lot of value to people who listen to it. So thank you for, for allowing me to be on again. So they're looking forward to another great podcast here. So, you know, the question you bring up is a good one. And I'm going to go back to my probably mid-20s. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here. You know, I started my first company when I was 26 years old. It was a software company. And we started off the gate, did pretty well. When I was probably 28, 29 years old, I joined a peer group in Dallas. Uh, It was called the CEO Institute. And I had a guy, one of our board members tell me that I needed to allow people to do their work, basically get out of the way. And I, and I have since heard this many times. And I guess the fortunate thing for me is I heard it at a very young age. And I have to keep reminding myself even today that there are people who are experts in what they do, even in our field. And they know certainly more than I do and just allow them the autonomy to come out and do their job. So that perhaps is one of the more profound things that that I that has happened to me in my life
1: has made a difference. Yeah. I think a lot of competent uh, people and well-rounded people have control issues <laughs> because they're just not sure anybody else can quite meet up to their standards. So yeah, a good lesson to learn at a young age. I know that uh, from our previous conversations that you have a vertically aligned company. So you provide really essentially all the services. But you talk about the fact that property management is, well, it has always been important, but it's even more important today. So why is that? when a property is purchased, I'm going to guess the people
0: who put the property together, in other words, the syndicators, the buyers, they may spend anywhere from you know 90 days to six months finding the deal, putting it together. But at some point they get it under contract and they spend a lot of time doing the loan and the due diligence on the property. But when you look at the timeline of a property of a hold of, let's say, three to five years, very small portion of that is done by the the people who buy it, the syndicators, right? Mm-hmm. And the balance is the management company. And there is a balance, and I'd like to talk to, to that a little bit about that today, because if the asset manager gets too involved, Alan, they might as well just run the property. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they, they, they and I can assure you what goes on at the level, they most likely don't have the expertise to execute the business plan with all the the various types of employees and all the different types of strategies that goes on, on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, they certainly need to pay attention to the property, not completely let go. So the property management company is so vital to making sure the business plan gets executed and it changes along the way. We all know things change along the way with regard to the environment or maybe some debt, some different debts going to be put on the property. But the property management
1: company is just very it is very important to get that done. And you keep you keep that in house for that particular purpose. Is that that's correct, right?
0: Yeah, that is correct. We decided to, to bring it in house.
1: I can see exactly why you would do that. In fact, that's the way that I would prefer to do it because it seems to me that third party property managers for well. First of all, they just don't have the investment in the property that uh, the owners have on that and it is and they just don't have the same things at stake as the as the investors have at that. And I think because of that, they just don't have the same interest in seeing that the properties are managed as they should be. And the other hand, I have talked to other investors who outsource that and they intentionally outsource that because they don't feel like they can justify the cost of an in-house property management team. Can you talk to that aspect of it? Because if you're outsourcing, it probably is going to be, what, 30, I mean, 3% of your gross income, which probably is cheaper than doing it in-house. Would that be correct or yeah, that's that's
0: a good question. And it, it is correct. It is cheaper to outsource it up to a point. We were about thirteen hundred units. Before we outsource, or before, excuse me, before we brought it back in house, we did start out, or at one point, win third party to scale back up. And I can tell you the amount of investment, Alan, that we do in training, that we do in our Google reviews, that we do in our Indeed reviews, that we do on our culture, on our property management. All that goes right back into the management company, and and I think that's why you start to see it become a return on our investment. And it's definitely not a return on on the property management company itself. But yes, it, it, I, my guess. Is anything below, maybe 1,200 units is probably mm-hmm. going to be, you'll need to figure out how you're going to do your cash burn because you're going to burn cash until you mm-hmm. get to 1,500, 2,000 units. And then, as I mentioned, you you might start making some money, but you'll you pour it back in there. And I think that's this one of the secrets that we've had is we looked at our management company as not as a profit center. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're investors first and we're, we're operators right even with that because we, we really believe uh, we're operators as well. And that that strategy has worked very well for us, and the properties have, have, have since
1: performed well. So it's really looking at the long-term and basing your company's strategy upon the long-term rather than than the short-term uh, investment, which I expect, even though it may cost you more to have an in-house property management team, it pays off in huge dividends over over the long term. And I, I can see why it would do that. Because you can you're just taking better care of your tenants, who then are taking better care of the property, and it's just going to give you better returns in the long run. I think a lot of investors don't really understand the importance of the capital improvements and how to budget for that. And so talk us through that and how it is that you go into a project and what do you need to know to be able to capitalize that property on the onset of that? Yes. So there are
0: a couple of points on that one. First of all, is experience you or someone on your team needs to understand the dollar value of a capital project. If you put a dollar into something, can you get the dollar back out? I'll give you two, two extremes. One of them is new flooring, granite countertops, faucets, smart home technology. In the right market, that's going to soar. That's going to most likely generate some good income. Where you're going to make your money back on that unit probably in in, in two years. Mm-hmm. You put new roofs on the same property, no one's going to pay you any more money for new roofs. They're just not. You you can't put that in a brochure and say, well, you got new roofs. (laughs) So those are extremes. But So that that first and foremost is the experience of the sponsor to be able to go in and understand what levers on that property they can pull that allow them to generate more income. The second one is a good property management company. That has experience in the market. And I th- I think that's where we come into play. But you can do this for third party too. You know, they they need to be able to spend some time with you and give you reasonings why these certain capital projects will will generate more income for you. And if you're not getting that from them, you certainly have the wrong person. Cause as smart as we think we might be are, we might be on the buy side, it's ultimately the management company that needs to sell this. Mm-hmm. And our teams are involved very early on, Alan, in the looking at this property, so they are able to collaborate with us on. Yes, this makes sense. This we can make these rents, and yeah, I know this property across the street. It's done. It's been very successful, but nobody else is doing it. There's plenty of upside left. They know what's going on on the property. A good management company. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you leverage that experience with a syndicator's experience, a property management experience and then be careful with supplies as far as you know how much they're going to cost today, how much going to cost tomorrow. Fortunately, that's we've seen a lot of stabilization in that. Look, we believe easier to predict, but mm-hmm. you always raise more than you need. And that can be, depending on the deal, anywhere from 20 to 30% more you should raise on your capital projects. And then all of them should not be, I have to have all this to meet my my rents increases. If you're going to increase the rents, uh, just say forecasting 6%. Hopefully there are some in there that that are nice to have and you may do those. You may shift money around to other projects. So you need you, the point in that one is you need to have flexibility in your capital projects schedule to be able to, to move some stuff around if you need to.
1: Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally... Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. Getting investment capitalized from the get go, I think, is certainly important because nobody wants to go back and have a call on their investors. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't make investors very happy. But in 2000, from really 2020, 2021, the cost of materials escalated almost overnight. And I can't imagine that there were very many investors who didn't have to go back and make a capital call because you were saying you allow for 20 to 30 percent. Well, material costs were increasing well, well beyond that 20 to 30 percent. So how do you go back to an investor and say, we've gotten caught in these uh, supply chain problems and the cost of materials has escalated, we're going to need more capital. How do you go back to the investors with that kind of a request?
0: So fortunately, we've never had a capital call and it was a result of our the pricing that we're able to get. We do have some strategies with our vendors that put us at the top and that helped us with supply shortages when things were, we only have 10. Well, for REAP, they've got 20. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that helped with the pricing too. And you could also approach the lender and say, "Well, we're not going to do 30 units this year. We're going to do 20." Mm-hmm. And so, so that coupled with maybe we won't get the the higher pricing and, we, and then we can still get inventory. You can be very nimble, if you would, mm-hmm. in that respect. And you know, with COVID, everybody was was facing that. So, I think uh, you know, across the board the products, if you would, the, the upgrades on all the communities and was kind of, everybody was kind of following the same thing. I believe we, we fared very well in that. So I I still think we have, we had a very good product coming out and, uh, we were still able to meet, you know, our, our net operating income, which, you know, which, which grew over 10% in 2021. So we we were able to get through that, but it it certainly wasn't easy. And we were, we had to be very creative and think on our feet and work with our suppliers quite a
1: bit. Well, nobody has a a crystal ball, but there's a lot of indicators that uh, we're going to be going through some rough times in the overall general economy. And the last quarter of the year, the rents actually did uh, draw back about 3%, I think, nationwide. So it looks like we are going into some challenging times. So is now really a good time to be purchasing? commercial real
0: estate. I'm glad you brought that up because you are absolutely correct. Nationwide rents are down. What I can tell you based on the data that we have, Alan, is in San Antonio, Houston, and Austin, the are, well, in San Antonio and Austin, excuse me, in San Antonio and Houston, the properties that we own properties, our rents have continued to go up. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe in Texas, it's still a good place to buy. We, we still have a very solid set of economic Principles that are very fundamentally sound. I mean, then those are real simple. We've got a lot of companies moving here, mm-hmm. you know, and we hear about the big ones. What you don't hear of all the other supporting companies that may employ 500, 1,000, 10,000, we just hear the big ones, but that's okay because mm-hmm. th- th- those will fall. So, and that also puts a good pressure on rising salaries and rising payroll. Mm-hmm. Now as an entrepreneur, yeah, I I write the checks, I get it, but incomes have also outpaced rent increases. And and so far, you know, Texas has been able to stay still much better value if you would for companies that that want to move here. So, it's still a good time that here that in in Texas and we're not we're not immune, I think other other parts of the South have, are, are also looking at similar economics that, that we are. So, so far it's been, it's been good for us. Well, wonderful. What
1: do you suggest that we look for when we're looking into sponsors?
0: Yes. So I'm going to say if you can, if you can meet them somewhere, at a conference, that's probably one of the things I would recommend because you just so much you can tell about, you know, a person that they'll gut feel. I just have a feeling about them. If not, at least a Zoom call. There's there's a lot you can read. And that that's certainly not the whole recipe here. As you do that, I think you look at their track record. You ask them not only how long have they been doing this, how long have they been a, a general partner in the deal and what was their role in that. I know there are people... That we've even invested in, that because we invest passively as well, and they just introduce us to a good sponsor. You know, mm-hmm. we may invest with them, but ultimately our money is going to go with the sponsor. And they're just very candid. Look, I don't pretend to, to know this property management, but I know I know several groups that are very good. But even even then, you, you have to understand that group and ask them how they hire their management company. And I I think good management companies spend a lot of time with their training and look at the, the indeed on the management companies. You, need, you should ask them, who's going to manage the property for you? And it's great if they say, oh, it's TLC management company and they own six assets for us already, three in this market, two in this market, and one right next to it. And I want to say that, The management companies, they have their bigger clients. And if if you're probably a larger client with the third party, you're probably going to get a little more attention, possibly. I think that's something to ask. So that would be my recommendation is to really find out who the lead syndicators are within the deal and then find out. Who their management company is, and just try to understand that dynamic between the two because it's just very, very important. And ultimately, you may want to talk to someone who's the, the lead GP and they and, and get on a three way Zoom call with them. And mm-hmm. uh, any syndicator would be happy to do that and sh- should mm-hmm. give them a lot of information on why they should they should
1: choose them. Okay. Well, what do you consider to be the best practices for asset management? and really can you just break it down for us what is the difference between asset management and property management
0: yeah so asset management's the overall strategic outlook it's probably managing 3 months to a year out so you know that's that's if you're talking to your management company those decisions are 3 months to a year out you're not you're not talking about who you hired you're not interviewing anybody and i've heard that before and i thought oh my gosh you know the first thing you need to do, the second thing I like to say, the second thing you like to you need to do in a management company is let them do their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you hired them for. And that's goes on with understanding early on who, who the management company is and look at their indeed. And that's gonna tell you a lot. I'm I'm gonna tell you, that's gonna tell you a whole lot. The next one is to have a have a set of expectations for your management company. You you guys shouldn't be like, well, here we go. You guys shouldn't be like this. You guys should be like this, right? Totally, totally aligned on stuff. So different management companies you know, manage different types of assets and different kinds of owners. And you know, a a good management company will will easily tell you how they work with owners and how they report to them. And it it should align with what your what your expectation is. And that way there are no surprises and you're meeting with them maybe every other week when you first start, but I'd say once a month. And I know some syndicators meet once a week and I, that's just not sustainable. If you're going to have 40 properties one day, you just, you just, you just can't do that. And I know what happens and, and maybe that's their training wheels when they go two or three properties, but ultimately the better you communicate the plan initially, and that's why I said, get them involved very early on in the stage and spend some time with them. They need to spend some time with you. They will take this ball and they will run with it. And they, they know, they really, they know what to do, Alan. They understand investments. They really do. So I would lean on them for that, and if you if you're not getting a bunch of yeses or feel goods, just pick another syndicator. They're they're and they're out there. So mm-hmm. the good one. there are some good ones out there.
1: So the asset manager is overseeing the entire company and not necessarily just individual properties. But what you're saying is that the best asset managers are the ones who are certain that the company goals, mission, vision, and uh, strategies are aligned with each of the property properties and each of the property managers know exactly how to align their particular property with the overall company goals. Is, am I hearing you correctly?
0: Yes, that's exactly right. And for example, if a property is going to be refinanced, I mean, the management company is not going to know that. They're just operating the property quarter by quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Month by month, day by day. And that's, that's where they are and that's where they need to be. The debt markets may change or the, the equity comes in and says, hey, we want to we sell or re, want to refinance there are some things on the property that need to get done. And that can be anywhere from maybe some a restripe on the parking lot. It could be uh, some deferred maintenance that maybe they were holding off on that they were going to wait, or maybe they're going to go back and do. Maybe they've held the property four years. And at that, about that time, it's time to do something, sell it, refinance it, you know, put some money back into it. So they, they may just need to freshen it up a, a bit. And that makes a difference for the new seller to come in and understand the business plan and know that the current seller executed it. So they will be the ones, asset manager will be the ones communicating that with the management company also d- different budgets budgets change from year to year and the asset manager approves that budget approves the rents going up it can understand the nuances if you would behind expense increase rental uh, increase or decrease and their job is to give guidance to the management company and to the to what's happening in the environment what's happening in the market submarket and they convey that to the investors uh, th- that's, that's the role
1: of, of what they do. Well, Jacob, you have a very successful company. REAP has been doing well for many years, so you have a lot to offer investors. So tell us about REAP Equity and how it is that potential investors can get in touch with you to take advantage of investing with you.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for that. And uh, it has been a good uh, experience. You know, we bought our first property almost 11 years ago now, and Arlene and I ran that property. So we really understood what it was like to be be a property managers and you know grew it from there and and we have reap Equity and reap residential that's our management company. you can look them up reap Residential. and people can find us uh, they can reach out to me. it's uh Jacob at jacobgarza.com or invest at reapequity.com and or go to our website and more than
1: happy to have a discussion with them. Well, Jacob, it has been wonderful having you on here. Thank you for answering the questions that all investors need to be asking. It's been a pleasure being with you once again. Thanks so much for being with us, Jacob. Thanks for having me, Alan. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill, like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience. So please go to your favorite podcast app, and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Seed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments.